1: My guest today, Kendall Thomas, is an author and dynamic motivational speaker. He's traveled extensively exploring cultures around the world. Respectful of all people, his desire is that everyone believes in themselves and fulfills their potential. Known for his innovative style of presentations, Lawrence delivers practical application with passion and humour, inspiring his audiences to take action with a positive attitude. He speaks from his own experiences that he's gleaned through being around some of the most respected and influential business leaders today, having a passion for peace and conflict resolution. He believes in salvaging and the restoration of relationships, especially those that are sacred. He was quoted recently. There is one relationship that bears the most gravity in our lives, the relationship with the Creator and Self. Encouraging positive, inspired behavior can make a big difference in our lives, when we believe and understand that the best way is always possible when our intentions are genuine. Having faith in ourselves is the key to victory. Your future is not your history, so don't allow the past or your critics to define it for you. Believe in yourself, have faith in the truth, and move forward expecting the best from your friendships, marriage, and career. Kendall Thomas joins me today to talk about his book, The Transforming Power of Truth. Welcome to In Discussion today. I'm very pleased to welcome my guest, Kendall Thomas. Kendall, welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Kendall, we uh, came together recently uh, through uh, another subject, another issue in life. Yes. And I took a look at your website and your life and your work and was interested in that. And you'll find with me that I take on the Joseph Campbell theory unknowingly from the beginning of this program where I like to take people back to their childhood because it tells us a lot about where we're going and why we're here and why we're in a certain mode or or taking a certain direction in life as we're molded by those years yes I I agree and as preface uh, to going into that arena we're going to move through your life finish up with your book that you're working on, The Transforming Power of Truth, but let's draw a line in the sand here and return back to your childhood. You were born in Chicago. Looking back at those years, what recollections do you have now that come to mind that perhaps you may not have considered previously as you've, you've gone through this journey recently?
2: Well, one of the primary things that, that I... Uh, tend to hearken back to are uh, the memories of my parents and um, in those early years uh, my father he was a very well respected man in the community was uh, involved in a lot of the community events and activities that uh, would take place in the neighborhood we would have block parties and those kinds of things and casino days and you know, we would have um, oh, uh, three-legged races and those types of things. Um, it was just a really cool time, you know. And of course, my um, my mother she was uh, she, she's a very affectionate woman, very loving and, and kind. And it was just a a really nice. Um, it was a good childhood. Different world, much different world. You didn't have the concerns for your children being <laughs> playing out in front of your house. <laughs> yeah, at least in the urban areas, uh, like you do today. You know, we would play not only in front, we'd play three, four, five blocks over, we would be able to ride our bikes, you know, just about anywhere within six, seven mile radius. <laughs> I mean, it's just different
1: time now. Life has changed. What about your parents?
2: What do you remember about them? Working Mm. middle class, outstanding citizens, um, great examples for uh, my brothers and I. My mom was, uh, she worked and yet she was still a homemaker. Uh, My father, he, he was an auto worker. Still is today one of my best friends. Very kind and A generous couple. What changes have gone
1: through your father's life? We've seen the car industry rather decimated, as it did back in the UK in the 1970s. Uh, Detroit has become a rather different place. It still keeps that Motown history to it, but in many ways, the manufacturing that we had back in our day has gone. How did that affect your father? Does he. Uh, think about those values that we had back then that that are just not here now in that uh, American uh, giant that industry
2: yeah he, he we discussed that from time to time and he uh, recalls how things were quite different then not in only in Detroit but really in you know the the industrial part of the country you know. Illinois, Ohio, you know, that area, those areas, Michigan, that uh, would have many manufacturing jobs. He was fortunate, my father, he got out of the, the auto industry and got into business for himself. So it didn't have the same impact on our family that it did many of the other families who were so reliant on, on you know, the that industry. As you move through childhood and you reach your
1: teenage years I noted that you became interested in writing in poetry is that perhaps because you were moving into some sort of I'm not going to use the word isolated I don't particularly like that word but some sort of special world where you looked at this as a refuge
2: didn't realize it at the time but uh, yeah I think that's fair to say you know, I began to take a special interest in words and, uh, you know but I was doing a lot of things a lot of, uh, you know, sort of, uh, self-discovery I would draw and, uh, and I would write and I began to just become fascinated with words and, you know, just having some of the, the poems in school, I would be attracted to those and, uh, and at an not only an early age, but probably around the fifth grade, began to write my own poetry.
1: Were you encouraged by any particular mentors or authors?
2: Not at that time. Um, that didn't that inspiration or influence probably didn't come until mm, probably around high school, my teenage years. Hmm.
1: So looking back to that
2: you become
1: interested in the written word was there any catalyst in that was there perhaps a darker moment looking back now to your childhood that you hadn't let me ask let me tell you why i ask that my life is has been very blessed and continues to be so despite the many mistakes and the many obstacles that we all overcome But a mentor of mine, a very famous colleague in the UK, said, you know, you can think that, but sometimes you need to look back and possibly see why you did certain things. Maybe there were darker moments that perhaps you may not recognize, but subconsciously they're there. Is there anything that resonates with you with that in in terms of why you became a writer at such an early age?
2: Mm, I wish I could recall, but, uh, you know, I do recall reading, you know, certain poems from Langston Hughes, you know, certain things he would talk about concerning, you know, the social landscape and uh, the injustices or imbalances, if you will, concerning the general society and people of color. And how that would you know, that would sort of resonate in a sense. You could kind of see how things were uh different, how we were um not as free to do certain things as some of the other kids were. is is, uh, is that more
1: evident now looking back on it, or was it evident then that it, it, it was and perhaps even today in many ways is still a, a very much a racialist society in many theaters
2: yeah i mean it's it's more evident now yeah you know, i think it's it, it it looms large larger now looking back than than it did then because then when i was you know in, in grammar school junior high um it it didn't it didn't have the same uh, impact or or resonance you know looking back you know that it that it does now
1: what about the myths and legends perhaps or heroes uh, perhaps you you weren't impacted by that but were there heroes at that time for you
2: uh, yeah certainly for me um there were certain heroes um i would say that um, many of the heroes. Uh, uh, Muhammad Ali was a hero for what he did, and not just in the ring, but outside the ring, he was uh, very much concerned with. He was socially responsible, as well as being a great boxing champion. Ali was a man amongst men. He was. I consider Ali as as a hero of people or or the people's champion, if you will, of all people. It wasn't just African-American people or people of color. Ali stood for justice anywhere in the world. I I believe he was one of my earliest heroes, other than my father.
1: You know, I think as we, we look back now, and there's no doubt about it, there are certain experts and think tanks that are looking back to the JFK years, looking back to to Ali and uh, uh, Martin Luther King and realizing more now what values they provided uh, more so than any values that we had thought about before uh, because they were real heroes and I'm not sure that they were considered that way necessarily back then but they're certainly considered that way now. And I think that people are beginning to look at that more because people are seeking heroes today, which we don't really have.
2: Mm -hmm. I think we have them. I just don't think that they're as much in the forefront of our consciousness. I don't think they was visible through the mediums that that they were then. Then there was a lot of, you know, tumultuous change going on, <clears throat> you know, with, uh, you know, the riots and, you know, the, the undercurrents and, and um, fighting for equality and voting rights and access. Uh, um, now, we're not fighting for voting rights today, but certainly there are injustices that go on uh, that we continue to struggle with. Um, concerning our, our equality.
1: You mentioned in your biography that you sent me that the macho image that we all as kids look for was not really resonating with you in writing poetry and, and and writing prose and one can understand that we you know we were boys and you know you had to live up to a certain image with the kids around you certainly you went into the US military for a while was that peak because of that image that you were trying to push back on
2: actually no um, I went into the military because my I didn't earn a scholarship to go to college. Uh, I did attend college immediately after high school, but it wasn't on, on a scholarship. And I, me being, I guess, <laughs> the middle child was trying to be responsible and someone independent. And uh, my father would have gladly paid for college and put me completely through. But I didn't want that expense for him, so at the time I wanted to prove to myself as much as anyone that I could be independent and uh, you know forge my own path. So it was more of a thing of me establishing my own independence as much more than uh, trying to um, establish any kind of macho image. Was it also because of the sense
1: of honor that came with that role being in the military?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you you joined the military because you want to serve. And I wanted to serve my country. There were no... At, at that time, I think we had just been out of Vietnam probably, oh, maybe three years by then, three or four years by then. But you never know. I mean, the the threat of war, you know, it it, it loomed silently. And... um so I went in as a communications engineer. Again, we're back to communications because that's, uh, you know, I love to communicate, love to, to write and, and read and discover. Last week, actually, um, I had the great pleasure of
1: spending an hour with my good friend now, Louis Palu, who is considered one of the uh, well-known war photographers. And he's just returned from Afghanistan embedded for the second time mm-hmm. uh, there for six months and really uh, painted a pretty horrific picture of of the kids over there. It's amazing, you, you get older and you were once a kid yourself and now you see them as being kids and they are, and he was talking about 18, 19 year olds over there, and they are to a large extent in our society forgotten because there's such a wave of people who don't agree with this sense of internationalism and don't agree with us being there so with that they tend to discard any uh, uh, patronage or or support for the troops and uh, one of the amazing things that came away from that program is that they are people and they are coming away with at a young age from that conflict with much wisdom and probably will become
2: amazing leaders back in civilian life oh you better believe it um, never been in the war m- being, being involved in the war myself uh, I can't speak to the atrocities and the pressures that they've undergone as soldiers uh, especially at such a young age um, but there it takes tremendous fortitude just to um, prepare for combat um, certainly much more to endure it and survive it so i have the highest respect uh for our, our american troops our men and women in in uniform over there and here
1: yeah it it, it i think that one has to discard the politics today um I I, and I think that there is a lot of sentiment that suggests that
2: we 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 shouldn't be over there, and and possibly it's right. Yeah, well, it's unfortunate. I think we've become better at politics than we are at governing, and we become better at weaving and sort of manipulating the population in terms of policy and politics than we have at caring for people. It's an unfortunate change. You know, I, I can't explain everyone's agenda, but certainly um, I have a certain feeling about all politicians, some more than others, but we've got to get back to caring about people and not so much about self. And that's what concerned me, and that was one of the, the catalyst for um, me writing the book The Transforming Power of Truth, was to uh, get back, maybe revert back to the sea change of caring about people, you know, this pride, arrogance, greed, and ego, uh, something I call in the book Wrong Page Syndrome, WPS, it's, it's something that has really had a devastating effect culturally on America and the international community. Since we were living in a global society, it's propagated its way through families, through corporations, through organizations, through <laughs> you name it. It's
1: its devastating. I think that this is a result of the post-war years. And as a social historian, I look back to the last great war. And uh, in my new letters from America, I talk about the 50s as being the Years of fear with the Cold War and the 60s as last and 1890s up to date as being the essentially the the um, the greed years and I think that's pretty close. Yes. And in that, I'm sure whether you're theological or universal in your thinking, uh, we fell. Also, though with that, I don't think that our human frailties have been so. Profound as they have been since the end of the war, you know, frailties uh, that has uh, been compounded by the the do consume society that began in the 50s those human frailties r- range from everything from fear codependency addictions uh, you name it, and they are clearly very profound today, and that is almost bringing would you agree society to
2: a place of Deadlock well I don't know about deadlock, but i will I will say to a place of division <laughs> and in a, that is a form of gridlock or deadlock, if you will, because we have these very polarizing issues and polarizing figures in our society that are sort of uh, uh, guiding this division or deadlock or gridlock, whatever you want to call it. I'm not sure that deadlock
1: is the right word, Kendall. Perhaps uh, paralysis would be better well suited to it. But it's a a paralysis that whether you look at the implosion of civilizations from the last 3,000 years or look at where we are today, it's a paralysis that will lead to a chaos and a much needed chaos, I think, in order to Allow us to move into this next evolutionary stage, which is no doubt upon us.
2: Yeah, perhaps uh, I, I would tend to agree. this gridlock perhaps has to happen um, because we're not going to we're gonna all rise together or we're gonna all fall together uh, in many respects. Um, <clears throat> this attitude of greed that is sweeping our society has it's it's gripped the country and and locked us up from from caring about each other you know so there's this I feel like there's a a big grab for whatever you can get forget people people are throwing their own mothers and wives and husbands under the bus for personal gain
1: in your biography again and in the notes and I truly believe that it's a time for transparency and disclosure across the board with all of us certainly. You talked about the effects of your divorce, which clearly had a big impact. I think it's important for all of us to admit that we are broken in some ways. And if we come together broken, uh, we have the power to unbreak ourselves in community. And I think that, that seeing the way that you have learned from your divorce, learned from that impact... That it's clearly led you down to a path where you can serve, you can write this book, so that it, uh, a, acts as a support in resolving your own issues, mm-hmm. but b it helps other people to understand where you've come from, where you've travelled, and to see the the parity
2: in their own lives.
1: Would, would that be a, a good statement?
2: I think so. I believe that within us all, you'll. Know, Lies a a trait or an element of fallibility, where uh, we can either be frail or deceitful or dishonest. But we have to come to terms in that with that in order to get better. There's a a brokenness, if you will, that lies within us all. Um, but I think that in order to get beyond that, you have to come to tr- to terms with yourself and be honest and be able to look in the mirror and admit to ourselves that we've fallen short or missed the mark.
1: In that, would that include facing up to the darkness in our
2: society? Certainly, absolutely. That's the only way that we're going to uh, emerge from this chaotic state that we're mired in uh, victoriously. It's the only way. You clearly after your divorce,
1: like myself, went through a period of healing, self-healing in a way. And I'm sure that we still have to check ourselves today as we take this journey. It's, it's Oh, by it's, the hour. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, Hourly. it's not an easy process. And of course, you get to a point now where you, you, you realize the art of forgiveness and you realize um, how important they were and yes. still are and probably more important now than ever. We do, however, in that process, and this uh, this is not just uh, focused on this particular topic, it's focused on the way that we do business, the way politics works, uh, the, the way that civilizations rise and fall. We do tend for a while in that process to attract the same thing, the same problem. Politics sees it. Uh, business leaders see it. Scientists see it. They, they try and fix something or somebody actually with something that replicated what the problem was before. Yes. Is that
2: something that resonates with you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Albert Einstein said that uh, we cannot approach today's problems with a solution focused on what got us into the problem in the first place. So we have to be able to look at things in a different way in order to fix them. Um, in the book, as I said, I discuss in there uh, an acronym called Wrong Page Syndrome, and PAGE is an acronym, Pride, Arrogance, Greed, and Ego, that we're all predisposed to all these destructive forces that are constantly after us, uh, constantly pulling at us, constantly consistently trying to tempt us into making the wrong decision and we have to it it, it, is an old adage in order to solve a problem you have to first admit that you have one Mm. and forgiveness is a very big thing Uh, you have to not only forgive the other person but you have to forgive yourself
1: in what order would that be well forgiving it, yourself first for, yeah
2: forgiving yourself first absolutely and and this and, well it depends on who the offense is upon if you've been the victim obviously you have to forgive the other person but many people go on and they blame themselves for being a victim this is contextually
1: close also to this word judgment is it not a judgment, something that I've come to learn, and and I'm uh, repeatedly advised this by my great mentors in my life, is that a judgment is something that you have to eradicate completely from your vocabulary.
2: Oh, my God. You, you
1: judge anybody, and you're, as a human being, looking into the mirror and judging
2: yourself. Absolutely. The minute we judge someone else, we'll find ourselves looking down the barrel of judgment. The minute we condemn another person, we'll find ourselves looking down the barrel of condemnation. So we have to be careful of not only judgment, but even worse, is condemnation, because we all bear the same traits.
1: And there is an affinity between that and forgiveness, is there not? They're certainly. very closely tied.
2: C- certainly. Yeah. We, I think we have to learn to expect more from ourselves, raise our own standard for ourselves, but also lower the expectation or standards from other people. In other words, if we take care of ourselves and worry about ourselves getting better, we're already making the world a better place. One of my great interviews was with the
1: eminent uh, Professor Bill Tiller who talks about our body being in a bodysuit in this existence and the power that we unknowingly have when we arrive at this point that is going to affect others around us. And I think that uh, in my world, I see this becoming evident as I grow we all have a long way to go I have is, no that, idea. is that if you do start working on those two things forgiveness and judgment you notice as I have with people around me that you do become a magnet you become a magnet of strength I was going to use the word power but I think that that is maybe a bad term to use because it's suggesting that ego comes in. Certainly, yes.
2: But I understood understood what you meant. Yes. But yeah, you do become um, magnetized for positivity by just simply trying to eliminate or eradicate judgment and condemnation from our our existence. And this is very important I think
1: having become involved with the very conscious communities in places like Los Angeles you realize that in order for communities such as those as well as communities still stuck in the mire, stuck in the establishment, the old ways of thinking to progress it starts with the individual and the individual goes through this journey that Clearly, we've both been in, and I expect that anybody has been through and is still going through, as we are listening to this program, that that power emerges once you are there. Now you have the right to move into community. You have that honour to move into community to be able to spread that that strength among others Certainly. in community. And and until that time, and I. Go down this road because I was going to ask you, you were living alone, I noticed, through this process after your divorce. There's a fine line, is there not, between becoming a monastery and knowing when it's time to
2: bring yourself back out into community again. Absolutely. Depending on your thoughts, I mean, I think you can... Um, following any kind of uh, divorce or separation, it's uh, it's a form of uh, sentence, if you will. Some people isolate themselves for the better, and some people isolate themselves for the worse, and they come out worse and angry. We're all broken. Uh, divorce is a, it's an awful thing, um, but if you focus on getting better, certainly you'll come out of it as a, as a better person. If you um, take inventory of yourself and the things that you did wrong, whatever your contribution was to the demise of the relationship, and you come out a better person. That comes with a lot of introspection, a lot of uh, self-examination, communication with yourself. I think that the worst crimes are often the ones that we commit against ourselves. unforgiveness that we spoke about people that don't forgive themselves and they continue along this path of guilt or anger you know the negative emotions or self victimization absolutely Um, it just it it tears they tear themselves up from the inside out and I was undergoing that for a while Uh, I had created um, a self-made prison if you will um, Unforgiveness. Finally, one day, thank God, I was able to find the strength to look at it for for what it was, certainly. And uh, yeah, there was forgiveness, uh, not only for me, but for my ex. And um, we became uh, friends and forgave each other. And you move on. As
1: we move on into the transforming power of truth, and we still have a way to go your writing returns or perhaps you had always been writing but now you are going through this process by writing again and emphasizing your thoughts through that strength through that medium was the writing different now was it emerging manifesting itself in a different way a different tone and manner to
2: to that writing that you had been involved in in earlier life Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a different tone, different level, different gravity, with more specificity uh, in regard to um, strength. My writing was uh, therapeutic, if you will, Um, but it came out of me actually journaling. I would uh, go to church, if you will, and hear a lesson. And began to write on that lesson about uh, what it was that that was being talked about that day, whether it be honor or integrity or truth or forgiveness or character. And those things began to resonate within me more and more and more. And as I read more, I wrote more. As I wrote more, I learned more about myself. As I learned more about myself, I began to want to examine myself closer for the certain behaviors that may have been destructive or self-limiting and I began to I, I believe begin to emerge as a better person uh, certainly a stronger person a more positive person a more caring person and I I believe I truly believe that I began to attract people that were like-minded or had the same kind of heart or desire
1: Is it not the irony of life, that in terms of gaining wisdom, that very important word discernment, that we have to learn by these trials, learn by these mistakes, it's possibly for me looking back now having such a blessed life that it's it's certain mistakes that I've certainly made in the last four years, which were necessary to find that wisdom, to find that level of discernment, not only about yourself but about other people, about nature, about the world.
2: Yes, uh, I certain believe, certainly believe that. If you're afraid to make mistakes, that's when you're gonna make them. <laughs> but certainly if you do make the mistakes, you know, have the courage to stand up and admit it, and then grow from it and, and move on. Um, the transforming power of
1: truth, what is the main main benefit for people to gain from this book clearly you're not writing anything and none of us are doing anything to be the be-all end-all except to be a contribution from our hearts to other people's hearts but what would you say is the pivotal area now looking at it that
2: you would ask people to learn from I want to go back to uh, another question you had I never really set my sights on becoming an author I wrote for the fun of it. I wrote because I enjoyed it. It it helped me just to sort of relax and but as I wrote and discovered the things in truth and honor and forgiveness and uh, um, fairness those were the things that began to transform me. Now what do I think my personal journey was about writing this book? Oh man. It was the most amazing experience of my life, meaning that I was almost isolated by, certainly not by design, but the circumstances. There was a confluence of events that sort of kept me isolated and almost insulated from being around too many people that could lead me to any other path than than I ended up on so I think it was almost divine that I ended up writing this book and so I increased a lot of uh, self awareness and uh, better understanding of not only myself but as I began to see things in myself I began to see them in other people how they were struggling how they were broken how they were seeking There's so many of us out here who are broken, who are just grappling for anything secure, anything stable. Unfortunately, many people are looking for the stability in the form of material things, and that's not going to get you anywhere except more pain and more isolation and and more deceptive. I think that people that are looking for things or their security in things, I think that there are three deities that people struggle with today. And there is fame, fortune, and sex. These things that lead people to do almost anything and people are selling themselves for all sorts of reality television shows and exposés and stories everyone wants to be famous but for the wrong reasons
1: this is all about this purpose of immediate gratification beyond money and materialism being iconic for
2: people Absolutely.
1: but I have to ask you and this is as much for myself as you because I'm grappling with this in what I do and going back to this word of discernment we find ourselves launched into a world through trauma being hurt being betrayed whatever it is and then we do come across like-minded people that are become informative that become Uh, well versed however there is again a fine line here isn't there and this is where discernment comes in because uh, some will say to me stay away from the dark head towards the light don't get involved with these, uh, uh, these or attracted to these people again nevertheless today in becoming leaders I hope You still have to help people. You better believe it. And the question I have for many around me, and I'm asking myself now, today, is to what extent? How do you do that using that discernment? Because if we are looking at each other in the mirror and we are truly seeing that we have a responsibility, how far do you have to go to help others?
2: Certainly there is a discernment or a judgment on how much you can help someone. Someone has to want to be helped, but certainly if someone is willing to allow you to help them, then you help them to whatever extent that you can, whatever extent that they're willing to learn, whatever extent that they're willing to listen. Um, You're going to have to at some point, in order for for any of us to grow, it has to cease being about us at some point. So while we're growing and prospering and manifesting or amassing whatever, uh, whether it be material wealth or emotional wealth or mental wealth or knowledge wealth, uh, at some point it has to cease to be about us, and we have to teach and help someone else to help themselves
1: with the precise purpose that we are still through that stage working on ourselves oh, yes. as much as we are them by the hour <laughs> mm. i had one of my questions set in our notes if like me after this amazing journey that we're all in and i'm certainly going through one with my work when there are times when i fall asleep i will fall asleep and i will For a short while, forget what it is all about, this universe. And then the art, I think, is gaining enough wisdom to be able to constantly catch yourself and expect it.
2: Absolutely. I I think I I experience that on a daily basis where I'm falling asleep, as you said. You know, I'll see someone doing something and, and I'll say, what is wrong with them? I'll catch myself and you know I'll have to say a prayer for them you know because you're reminded that you cannot judge or condemn someone else because we each bear the same trait of fallibility to whatever we're witnessing it doesn't matter what it is no matter how bad the crime or the act is or the words are you know if you see someone cheating someone or certainly you want to avoid that but you have to be really careful because we all bear the same trait so when you find yourself judging someone you have to be really careful because we're all capable I'm learning uh, from somebody
1: very close to me in my life at the moment the art of providing space when needed And this is a lot about one of these human frailties of codependence. And I'm being taught very well. I've always had the art of this. But I think that's where I'm going, that at a point, rather than fall asleep, fall into a judgment mode, just across the board, fall asleep, it is important to know when to give somebody space. For them to work it out themselves
2: indeed it is it is there's an author James Allen that I quote in the book and it's just a a very short quote but it's very powerful James Allen the great author um, I'll just briefly quote him he said that man is made or unmade by himself in the armory of thought he forges for himself heavenly mansions of joy strength and peace. By the same action or fashion he also creates the tools by which he destroys himself. And it is in between these two extremes that lie all the grades of character and man is both their maker and master. Would you say that your life perhaps
1: Parallels where I'm sitting, and it's not an easy one, and I think it's good to admit to everybody that it's not easy, and that is a life of total integrity in every respect. And I think it's good to tell people it's not easy. Uh, you're oh. in a material world. You're in a tempting world. But, you know, there comes a time when you become very intuitive not only to the world around you but to yourself to be able to catch yourself early every single day.
2: Oh well, yeah if you, if you want to survive you have to understand that temptation is after us all and sometimes it gets us <laughs> you know you have people you know grappling you know with integrity we, we really need to be careful particularly in the arena of, of politics and the, in the arena of even celebrity or at the world of, of athletes or sport, not to judge them too harshly. They're human beings, and I think we tend to forget that. Uh, I think politicians, and even I think to some extent, the public isn't at fault, but it's more a less more or less the, the politicians themselves that are condemning each other and lobbing these bombs toward each other uh, about character and integrity when they're both fallible, when they're both guilty, when they're both susceptible to the same crimes or maybe even worse than the ones they're accusing their opponents of. So I think we have to really be careful and take a look at in the mirror you know, before we start playing these dirty... Uh, games with each other that that are harmful where do you hope to go with this book and I certainly
1: hope that it's it's the first of many and more importantly and I work with this premise a lot in my life now trying to figure things out do you consider yourself in service do you consider that many of us take away the traits of ego and leadership and needing followers do you think that as we evolve into this very different world shortly, that many of us will become in service, which in itself has many sacrifices, but that is going to be uh, the resolution of wealth, not in monetary terms, but in, in us as human beings?
2: Certainly. I, I do consider myself in service, and I hope to partner with many others that will come to service as well. I simply want to be a vessel or in some ways some sort of catalyst even on a a local level. It doesn't matter what level whether it be local or national or or international. I think that uh, I have a responsibility for sharing what I've learned and what I know to be true and uh, that people can be transformed in spite of where they've been or what they've done and also rise out of that and help someone else to to become a better person. As you uh, share that,
1: I wonder whether leaders should actually be replaced by the word elders. I think that for many, many years, we have not had elders Mm -hmm. with great wisdom. And I wonder whether unconsciously and unknowingly perhaps we are in a time when we ourselves are being shaped to become the elders for our younger generation.
2: I just hope that as a society that our collective consciousness shifts more toward self examination and toward the truth rather than self-gratification and for the the microwave sort of uh perfection that's impossible it's always fleeting but we'll never attain much of anything if we don't examine ourselves and and i think that more than anything i want people to take away from the book that we have to come together we have to live find ways to live together and find ways to help each other, help each other, and also to recognize the things that we have in common more so than the things that that divide us. That many people, too many people, want us to focus on. Would you say that that could be in the form
1: of um, tribes at local level? More about uh, tribes, even in a place like Phoenix or Los Angeles, where small groups can come together, realize their gifts not just rely on monetary gain, but rely on bartering, would that be something that would also resonate with you?
2: I'll tell you, I think that as as humans, we're all given a certain set of gifts, not just one, but multiple gifts. I think our mission while we're here on earth is to discover what those sets of gifts are and then use or leverage those into something that will help advance our our society and that can be at a grassroots level in a community it can be in, on a city level municipal level, municipal level or an international level it all depends on what they're willing to to sacrifice the transforming power truth
1: when is that going to be available january
2: 2011 And uh, our listeners can find that where? You can find that on my website at com. It all will also be available at Barnes and & Nobles and Borders Books
1: Kendall Thomas, it's been a great pleasure talking to you today. I do hope that we share more time in future programs and perhaps we'll be coming together in different theaters in the future. Thank you for having me And to our listeners today, I hope that you have enjoyed this program as much as I. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org.
0: dot com.